Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Saturn Vox podcast, where discussions of philosophy meet the liminal space we weave in dreams. This is your host, and definitely someone who would have signed the Magical Girl contract as a teenager, Michaela Ann. This week, we are welcoming special guest Lisi, student of Gnosticism and devotee of St. Mary Magdalene, to talk about one of my favorite things in the entire world, anime. Those of you who grew up with a little bit of weeb in you probably know that anime has a history of bringing up occult and esoteric issues within the narrative. In fact, both Lisi and I probably wouldn't have picked the paths that emphasized magic or mysticism without the introduction via anime as children. So with this in mind, we decided to explore three different animes and talk about how they are or are not related to the mysteries they are attempting to discuss and resolve. What makes the self? Why is it so important to find the you inside the heart of others? Do anime writers really know anything about the esoteric symbols they are using? Is there any redemption for the devil found in Gnostic mythology? What is Gnosticism, and why is it so confusing? We discuss Ergoproxy, NGE, and if you hop on over to the extended episode found on Patreon, we even spend an entire extra hour discussing Madoka Magica. All this and more on today's episode of Saturn Vox. To find more on Saturn Vox, check out their Instagram and Twitter at Saturn Vox, or visit their website www.saturnvox.com. If you want to support the show towards goals of better equipment, merch, and bonus material, please check out the Patreon at www.patreon.com slash SaturnVox, where one can join in on our book club, Discord communities, and listen to extended episodes. and I have been involved in all things occult my whole life. When I was in the third grade, I had a group called the Paranormal Pack, and we would meet by the tree. And so now this is the extension of the tree we would meet at the playground. (laughs) And then they found out I was actually into magic, and they're like, oh, well, you need to go to church. And welcome to Texas. (laughs) Lovely. Uh, yeah, so um, I've been a witch since I was about 18, and then I've been practicing yoga since I was about 16, and they all kind of came together, uh, you know, at about halfway through my 20s, and now I'm here diving back into Gnosticism, which I found in 2018. 18, I want to say when I was re I had a lot of Mary Magdalene connections. And so I was revisiting that. And as I got closer to that divine feminine within, 
whatever that looks like because it's not a gendered thing it's just that more I guess softness but also a, so a softness in my sovereignty and so I was looking at Gnosticism because I didn't really jive with like Satanism because it's like essentially saying like, oh yeah, your God is like the devil. And I'm like, ah, I wouldn't quite go that far, but I do feel like the creator God, there is something above that from what I had felt. And then through personal experiences, through like different shamanic journeys uh while i was in colorado colorado seems to be an activation space at least it was for me when i moved there and i found a really great group of people at the beginning <laughs> and then i kind of found that i need to be a little more discerning within those spaces especially as like a you know political funness kind of gets wound in there but um during the time when I was going back, I found the Pistis Sophia and the Pistis Sophia is what really, yes, I loved it. It was just so shocking to read from, it was so focused on a feminine disciples who were speaking. It was Mary Magdalene speaks the most in it, his mother and Martha. There's also uh, Salome. So I'm, I'm awful with pronunciation, but she's in there. And a lot of these works were read by like Madame Lebowski. The Theosophical Society. There was, um, it was very heavily influenced, and they used a lot of the terminologies. and And this book was also found. The Pistis Sophia was also found with the Book of Jew, and it it's J E U. <laughs> yeah, the Bruce Codex. Yeah, and that was all that we had on Gnosticism, other than like the treaties against heresies, which was, you know, essentially like these bishops being like, oh this is what we're against. And like, they're really not Christians, quote unquote, even though if we look at like a lot of our, you know, Protestant spinoffs, they wouldn't consider them totally Christian either. So Gnosticism was essentially just an emergent structure of Christians during that time who didn't want to be servants, who didn't want to be in a covenant and who felt the static presence within God. But they also felt like they didn't need an authority like a bishop to tell them that. They wanted these experiences themselves. And so whenever the Pistis Sophia kind of made its rounds, you know, before 1940, that was really the only thing they had. And then in 1943, the Nag Hammadi text like arose out of the desert. And you even brought up a really interesting point um, in the notes about like, this guy's blood revenge. Do you want to talk more about the blood revenge thing? Like, I'm curious where you wanted to go with that. Um, yeah. Well, hold on. Let me, let me back I'm also up. I'm talking about myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. You're fine. I just wanted to say, in terms of Gnosticism, what you're tapping on there is that, like, Gnosis means inside. So their their whole pitch was knowledge yeah yeah that inner sense of connection to the divine and the types of like well what new agers today would probably <laughs> say like a download would be related to like receiving the gnosis of the divine <laughs> yes that's actually one of the things that they were upset about gnostics because they all seem to have like everyone had a beautiful imaginative like landscape around it 
And, you know, you could say that even a lot of science fiction is kind of spun off from this because there's a huge cosmology like within like Gnosticism is such a broad term. They're just truly Christians with uh, different Gnostic points of view. You had your Jewish Gnostics, you had your more Christian leaning Gnostics, you had your like people who were more into Plato. And then there was all of that was just such a big melting pot during the time. Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up because that is something that I feel like was repeated pretty frequently in the Pagels book, as well as Dr. Justin Sledge bring the, brings this up in his uh, Gnosticism episodes on Esoterico. Just about like that term Gnostic is actually very debated amongst academics because all of these people would have just referred to themselves as Christians. There was no such thing as being Gnostic. They weren't Sethians or they weren't Valentinians. Yeah, or Manichaeans or... Exactly. And they all had a variety. Some of them were pro-women, some of them were anti-women, some of them believed in the Demiurge, some of them didn't. And that was actually... This is why I'm glad you brought it up, because up until I started doing this in-depth study for our episode, I was of the opinion that not like, at least Christian Gnosticism from the way that I understood it was a very dualistic theology. And as I started diving deeper and deeper into it to prepare for this episode, I was like, oh, that's only like one form of Gnosticism. And there are even some where it's like confusing. There, A lot of them are actually tripartite, which I'm sure we can get into later. Um, <laughs> but yeah, as for the like thing about the blood revenge, what I thought was super interesting about the discovery of the Nag Hammadi texts is that basically this guy... He was, like, fighting somebody over his father's murder. And so that was the only reason why he was in that area. And it was something about after he killed the person that got authorities onto him or something and somebody came over to his house and they looked at these pages that were being shoveled into the fireplace and they were with an academic's eye were able to say you shouldn't do that so if he hadn't have gone out and killed this person as like an act of blood revenge to get revenge over the murder of his father. It would just be lost. Yeah, he, nobody would have ever come over to the house and he and his mom would have just kept using these like papyri as kindling basically. And it's this weird kind of gnosis that I think ties into a lot of our discussion on anime that we're going to be getting into. Like we said, Gnosticism is very vast amount of, of literature and a vast different types of theologies, but there certainly do seem to be some forms of Gnosticism that carry this like how to navigate suffering or like the the implication that there is a necessity to certain kinds of violence or certain kinds of destruction in order to promote transformation and growth, which even the discovery of the Nag Hammadi text seems to mirror that metaphor. Oh, totally. I, I love that, that you brought that up. Like, if I had to pinpoint myself as one, 
I'd say Valentinius would be the closest because he also talks about like his main thing were divine pairs. And um, a lot of it was focused on, there was probably some sex magic and some ritual use of like marriage consummation because they believed in the seed of life and that everyone, if you were to like conceive and both unions like both people are coming together to be united and to create this being to purposefully and consciously bring forth a life they thought that was better to like purposefully and consciously bring forth a life rather than just go around and do whatever because they believe that was so valuable i was literally just reading something about that in the essential idocratic yesterday because that was one of her reasons why, like, practicing um, constinence or, like, retention yes. is so important for the man and the woman because not only does it, like, heighten your ability to experience that ecstatic little death, but it also gives you the ability to purposefully and without contraception decide in which moment you are going to conceive a child and in the her writing like her argument and maybe she got this I've not personally done as much research into Gnosticism as you so I haven't read a lot of these like individual threads but her her reasoning was also like when the child is conceived intentionally, it receives like, especially if you do, if you like build your way up to that little death and conceive of the child in that moment where you're having full union and ecstasy with both the divine and your partner, the like soul being of the child is implicitly more healthy, which like is just better for all of humanity in general. So, which I agree with. I do agree with that. Exactly. And I think, I guess with Gnosticism, the only because we, yeah, conceived human spirits have an innate, I pretty much took uh, April DeConnick's, like she has a really great outline of what she defines as the five points of Gnosticism, which you can read Elaine Pagels, who does a great job with the Gnostic Gospels of like, kind of introducing everything but that was the first one here's my my review of that book have with that one being the only one i've really read besides like select articles in secret body that book was about politics that book was about how politics shapes religion so of course that's obviously also right up my alley just being really interested in how the origin of different religions like develop one god one church and what does that mean and who even decided that yeah. like the council oh of nicaea oh my goodness if you want to get in arguments with your christian family and win every time <laughs> study the history of christianity and you will you will absolutely make your family members hate you and feel powerful and it's wonderful. Or just random people. I was in like a breakfast place and I somehow was talking about Mary Magdalene and this legit like preacher, like a youth pastor came up and he's like, well, she was just, uh, you know, with him. And I'm like, um, no, she was more than that. And she did all these things. He's like, and his ultimate argument at the very end, I went through all laid it out. He's like, well, you know, Jesus was either a crazy person or he was really the son of God. And I'm like, those, those are the two that you came to after like this whole conclusion talking about 
how he like might have been like a rabbi, like he was probably like a very influential leader, like in the Jewish community, he had to have a wife, like that was just how it went. He can't be 30 years old, just wandering around by himself. Sorry. Anyway, and also Jesus says, go out in pairs. Like he says in like the New Testament to go out with someone else, like you shouldn't just go out by yourself. So I would also assume he practice what he preached but you know <laughs> that's a wild guess about a lot of things <laughs> lovely <But>. love that <laughs> i hope he went home with his head bowed in shame i hope he quit his religion and said jesus is just a crazy person i know because the like, girl what? at the waffle house taught me all these things <laughs> oh life change you know there's actually a whole disaster protocol called the waffle house protocol what? I'm from the Waffle House Tower City and I don't even know this. I don't I know that the Waffle House be wildin' though. I know that. Oh, Waffle House is where it's at though. Um That's where some ratchet past, shit goes down. Past two past two at like twelve AM. <laughs> there is you will see some stuff. No, but like the government based how bad a disaster is on the Waffle House. If the Waffle House is still open and functional and going we're fine. All right. Well, the Waffle House Tower City has got one on every block. So <laughs> New Orleans ain't got none. So I guess we're fucked here. <laughs> Although the government has proven that more than once, that if a disaster were to hit here, we're we're basically on our own. This checks. It checks. No Waffle House? Yeah, there's no, no Waffle House. Disaster. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> We don't know. Now we know. <laughs> okay. Well, do, do you think we've kind of given some... I know I, we said this previous, but we could have a whole two-hour conversation on just Gnosticism and what that means. Well, we can, we can also throw a lot of it into, like, you know, like the transcendental god. Like, that's really easy to throw into all these different animes. Like, you know, the other to orient like a true religion like you know that is all based on someone's soul so we can go through those whenever yeah. we get to like i got i got sidetracked what were the um keynotes from deconic oh yeah that the other we got we went through um the first two direct ex experiential knowledge called gnosis um, the one who lives above the Ein Sof, essentially, you know, if you go past it all. Um, ah, yes. Mentioning of the Ein Sof. <laughs> Twice in two Saturn Box episodes. You have to. How can you not? Uh, <laughs> the dimorphic godhead. <laughs> but, uh, and then rituals, um, which, you know, they all had their own rituals in order, and that's the therapeutic side of it innate spirit which we can go in um to like uh ergo with that one because the spark of god mm -hmm. called like that would be a good way especially talking about this sentient ais like you know it's like the ais to me and ergo proxy um were probably more interesting than the humans and i know that they meant to do that because when you see the anime all the humans are faceless essentially but the ones that they show their faces are the uh, all the AI bots. I thought that was interesting and in, like the style of it. Um, do you want to dive into that real quick? Just about. 
Ergo proxy when it comes to what you were saying about the faces and all of that. Um, yeah, you said lies make us happy, which like Pino, like oh, cute little bug. Dude, I would kill for Pino. If anybody were to come after Pino, I would lose it. I understand Raul. I understand his mental breakdown because same. How dare anybody harm that innocent creature? <laughs> Truly. Like Pino is just like she is the spark of light. Like, you know, she is that spark. She is that thing that like really continues to drive everything. And you think that it's all going to go like nothing's going to go right. And then Pino just pops up and she's like, so guys, and her cute little like corgi bunny like outfit. Oh, I love it. She's definitely like reminiscent of um, this idea of innocence and the innocence that may or may not have been lost through implications of social structure. So, like, just just to, like, seat people in a narrative. Like, also, I should have said this already, but, like, spoiler alert for each and every one of the animes that we're going to be talking about. So, um, right now we're going to be talking about Ergo Proxy. So, if you haven't seen it and you don't want spoilers... I'm going to be trying to like timestamp this stuff in the show notes so that people who are concerned about spoilers can skip from anime to anime. Ideally, I hope it works that way. <laughs> I'll try not I'll try not to cross too anime reference too, terribly. too much. I'll, I'll try I'll try to or at least not give like spoilers for the one. Yeah. Yeah. So Ergo proxy is essentially the way, God, this is a big spoiler because it doesn't really reveal itself until the end, but basically all of the human, this is what I thought was so interesting is it leads you through this whole thing and they keep referencing the creator. There are these, there are these things called proxies and the proxies themselves are reflect the demiurge. They are the creators of each and every individual city or dome within this post-apocalyptic universe. So it's like after there has been some sort of ecological damage where the sun has been completely wiped out and you can't go outside because there's like poisonous air. Um, so the proxies create these like domed cities for the humans to live in. And you come to find out by the end of the anime, every time the proxies were referencing the creator, this was, I thought, spun kind of Gnosticism weirdly on its head because it, it, it almost brings up this post-Nietzschean idea of God, where it was like, even when we get to who is the, the creator of the creator, it ends up being the humans who left Earth. Like, they're all in some, like, arc ship hanging out in the solar system, waiting for the atmosphere to heal take care of itself yeah, yeah and the humans that were created from the proxies were just basically puppet humans and they were meant to die out by the time the original humans returned <laughs> so that was a, a weird spin on the demiurge story when it comes to like the 
I don't know that I would agree with you about the thing with the faces, just because mm. in my understanding, uh, there is this push with the art that the main character, um, Vince is his name. He always has his eyes closed. Yeah. In the yes. first couple of episodes, like all while he's in the original dome. And he goes through this process of awakening where he realizes that he is the divine. So the whole story of Ergo Proxy is really like, who is the self? How do we define self? But it also, like, he ends up opening his eyes once they leave the dome. Like, they get into the wasteland yes. almost. And you wrote about this in your notes, this like journey through the wasteland kind of mimicking that journey through the abyss. Like, did you want to touch on that at all? Oh, totally. I guess because they lose a lot of people along the way as well, which I thought, you know, a lot of people can't make that seeker's journey. Like you start upon the path as a seeker and you keep going through the wasteland, which is really hard because you're like, how do I know that what I'm striving for is even worth it? How do I know that there is another dome city? Like, was that like even a possibility? And along that way, they lose like a lot of like comrades essentially. And then it's just them and they come to that space. Just as we, there is a whole idea that in Gnosticism, you can reach the transcendent God and like you become a co-creator and that you essentially you're above the authority of whatever the church is saying, because you have that direct channel. You are, you know, coming down and you have the, you know, true religion is within you. Like Gnostics located, this is something like a part of April's thing is that Gnostics located spiritual authority and the individual solar spirit. And so they already know that like, if they were to keep going through that wasteland, if they were to keep going through the abyss, there is something on the other side. Yeah, there was definitely a big theme of the redemption of suffering. Pretty much almost everybody ends up dying unsatisfied. It's almost like, especially because one of the main themes that they touch on in Ergo Proxy a lot is this idea of the raison d'etre, raison d'etre or whatever it is in French but it's basically like one's reason for being and it's like they touch on this one city they only ever use swords everything is hyper logical and rational and reasonal reasonable and that these people even though they all are born with some purpose in the community because there's no emotionality or creation of mm -hmm. art or in or individual expression they still feel lack then you have this first city that they go to in the wasteland which is right outside romdo and it's kind of like where the outcasts of the city live the dump yes it's a dump but these people are existing in complete anarchy they have complete free unabashed freedom that they can do anything they want with their day and their time and they're completely free and they're not like be held by oligarchy or whatever and it, it you end up finding out that all of them secretly wish they could go back to the city with structure and so it's this kind of way of saying in this weird way it's almost like it's saying you can't just have full swords and you can't just have full 
full individual fiery sense of being either. You need to like tie that stuff together with a third thing. So it's, so this yeah. tripartite nature is very important in ergo proxy, and it's also very important in Gnosticism. So would you like to comment on anything that has to do with the tripartite? And sorry if I'm like bouncing you around too much. No, not at all. I love it. Um, I actually had a comment. I actually wrote that too. And like across all the animes, like there's a repetition of that trinity, like in different forms, like in this and and the Gnostics had a trinity or that they saw humans in. Um, they saw you either being like um, pneumatic, like like you have, like you're just a human, like you're a person, like you don't really think about spirituality. And then you have someone who's a psychic, which, you know, are which you could say are the human race, which they have that connection to the divine, but do they use it? Mm, sometimes. <laughs> And then you have the Hylix who are like the above or the above of, oh, I had that totally backwards. Um, <laughs> are, are the psychics were the humans and the otter rigs are the Hylix. But really it does kind of get switched around. We find that like all these auto rigs are actually sentient. And I like how they call their sentience a disease. Like, you know, once they start worshiping something else, like the humans kind of start freaking out. Like, because the humans start realizing that maybe there is more depth to these beings, which they don't really treat very well. Um, and, and you even get to like a whole world where it's just the machines left and like the machines where they're just cutting the lawn, like they're just doing what they're taught and programmed to do. And there's no more humans. Those ones don't don't seem like they had been infected by the cookie dough, though. Mm -mm. Yeah, which is interesting that all the humans had left. And so they were just totally fine. And then once the humans come, once real and Vince come, like, you know, like she starts to change things and, you know, spoiler, I wonder if it is because she has that proxy as a part of herself, like, because she is able to have like that spark, if the spark is almost contagious, like the spark and the breath of life. Once you breathe into it, does do other things start breathing? Yes. Oh my God. We really do need to get to all of that part of this. But I did want to spend some time talking about the auto raves and the Cogito virus. Uh, so like Cogito just means, um, <laughs> it just means I think, you know, Cogito ergo sum is Descartes. I think therefore I am. And so ergo proxy is a very big um, spin on that where instead of it being cogito ergo sum, it's cogito ergo proxy. And proxy is like, you can think of it as like a reflection or a shadow or an, an image reflection, which is also a big idea in Gnosticism that we're all just like imprinted mirrored reflections or shadow images of the light of the divine. Um, and then like one thing that they repeat over and over again in the anime is I think therefore you are. So it's this, and this is going to become really important when we get to neon Genesis, but this idea of like, I learn who I am through my interactions with the other. And you'll see like real, has her own self-awakening through her interactions with Pino and Vince. And Vince has his own, you know, awakening that 
drastically changes even the plan that the person who created Vince had in store for Vince. Vince kind of gains his own sense of autonomy through his connections with the other. And this is what I wanted to talk about with the auto raves is why Pino remains so innocent and is able to carry this like immense emotional strength through her process of conscious awakening. Whereas the, uh, uh, the auto rave um, who worked with Riel. Oh yeah. What is his name? Oh my God. Iggy. Iggy has a complete, like once he gains consciousness, he is like, I'm going to kill myself and everybody around me, which I think is reasonable to some degree. And I, I thought about that when you brought up like, oh, the Cogito is a virus, like consciousness can in some ways be thought of as a disease. So like, what is this, this interaction between the other seems to be the medicine. Would you, would you agree or comment on that at all? I would totally agree because Iggy, poor Iggy, he gets, think about how many times has his mind been erased? How many times has he been changed to, like, he might have already been progressing with consciousness, but then they erase his memory. And then, like, he keeps going and then just realizing that how many times all of this has been taken away and by these people who are supposed to know more than you, these are the ones who made you. And then really they're just as messed up as, you know, they're messed up. Like there is something wrong with them, like overall. And then having that knowledge, you can't really go back. He definitely had that innocence lost. Like once, once you know, you can't unknow something like you can't just forget. And so that's, I justified, like, you know, you know, the way he went about it, probably like, you know, Riel wasn't, the best example of a person but she really also technically isn't a person so really morality is so is all individual too like you know it's like who decides what the morality is and at that point it was the humans but really Iggy had he was fine in what he did I think but it seems like he couldn't handle the idea of love lost or that there was like a level of uh, desire and attachment that he had to a specific raison d'etre, or like he didn't have the ability to transform or change what his reason for being was, even as his con consciousness developed. So it's almost this implication that you can grow in 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 your mental state of enlightenment but if you stay committed to the same the old pattern yes that you will have a, a breakdown or have some sort of conflict there because everything is constantly changing whereas like pino watch it like pino keeps befriending people who die over and over and over again. And there's this one scene in the cave when they kill one of the proxies and Iggy also dies in that episode, spoiler. Uh, and she's like laying flowers on the grave and Riel is like, aren't you sad? And she's like, 
well, I am sad, but I think having the ability to be sad makes me happy because I realize that I have like loved and cared about these people. And I've had this like experience of connection. And I was like, what the fuck you little three-year-old? That's some deep wisdom that you've gained over the past three weeks, I guess. Yeah. Right. Like watching all those people die and just realizing, well, I think again, you know, when you watch your friend die and you don't know, like, and then someone has to tell you what that means. That happened in one of the episodes. She's like, when does my new, like, when is, does the copy of him oh. come? When are they going to replicate his consciousness back into a robot? And they were like, no, that's not how death works. It's not not how it works, friend. And I, I also think of that I saw a video and it was, it was a dead bee and all of these ants around had built, like put flowers around the bee, like, you know, and, and they, cause that's what they do whenever they have like, you know, someone die in their colony, they kind of have a little funeral for them, but the ants had a funeral essentially for this like honey, a bumblebee. And it's just like, you know, Pino doesn't, you know, she's lived with these humans and she has seen some shit. Um, Pino has been there for it all. And she continues to still have just like, she knows and she, but she still retains that innocence because she's also kept onto her feelings too. Like, and she's gained those feelings and has had people to explain them to her. I don't think Iggy or the other auto rigs or auto, they didn't have anyone to explain what their, like what feelings are. So wise that you're pointing that out actually. Yes, she was validated and received with warmth. Yes, by her companions. She was seen. And she, it was, if it wasn't Vince, it was, you know, the people in the dump or Riel or that family. She lived with a family. She knew what love was based on the what she had seen before and then she still contains and uses that love in the wasteland where i think the love is even more powerful and i think that because she had gone through so much suffering so much like i think she's still able to see that something else will come that it will continue to go and it will continue to grow and so which of a uh, deconics like do you think that this idea of like learning the self through the other and like through this receptive connection, because I would say at least at the very least, it taps in on this idea that like it's a shared community, all that like you were saying, oh, well, they would change who the bi bishop was every week or who the deacon was by some sort of ritual. So everybody was joining together in a communion of brothers I also, I agree with you on that because she did have a group. If anything, she had a pair. She had Vince. And then like she, they became a trinity with Riel. I would say that where Pino also falls in that like, because, you know, obviously it's talking about humans, but it says an innate spiritual nature that is an extension of the transcendent God made eminent within humans. P ah. Pino is that like even the humans that are made by the proxies are a part of that like you know it's just like humans were essentially becoming the demiurge where they were like we can create something in our likeness but within that likeness there's something missing and then that's why you know but then the auto rigs gain the virus of consciousness so 
So the one the one thing that I thought was super interesting about Ergo Proxy is that it's basically a story of like doubt as the epistemological opportunity towards self-knowledge. So it's like kind of hinting at this idea that the Gnostics at one point in time when they were all Christians, there was a political split where some people were like, this doesn't make sense. (laughs) Maybe I should think for myself. And the, the, powers that be of course were like no no don't do that i need to have the power so just getting back to this idea it seems like ergo proxy asks the question like what if the demiurge hates its creation and and how do we solve the problem like this is our doubt the doubt starts with this doesn't make sense if there's evil and there's suffering in the world then there must be something wrong. And that's kind of this idea you see, like, I do know this one in the um, Apocrypha of John, where it talks about, like, the Hebrew God actually being Yaldabaoth and him being, like, this evil deceptor who, like, must be trying to trick and subvert (laughs) humanity and that's exactly what's going on in Ergo Proxy because the main creator, like Proxy One, is like, fuck humans, fuck the creator who created me. I'm gonna destroy the whole world. All the anger and I can I could see that if I was a creator and then if everything wasn't going right and if it wasn't like to what you saw it as, and then you're just like, ah, you know, either you become apathetic and you leave it to just kind of destroy itself or you actively take part of its destruction so that you can create something new. Yes. And so in that way, you see it mimicked then back in the people. Like, why did Proxy One leave us? Why did our creator leave us? And that being the birth of all these other wars, like the reason why Ramda went to war with Mosk was to regain a new proxy because their proxy was like, fuck you guys, I'm leaving. Um, What do you think the end solution in Ergo Proxy to this question was? Because I thought that this tripartite story of ergo proxy proxy one and vince is a tripartite godhead Mm -hmm. that that ended up resolving this crisis of the god who hates his his creations the three in one he becomes almost that in a way (laughs) yeah so in summary i'm trying to because I, you have like, I, I guess my thoughts go back to the council, which almost could be seen as like the thoughts within our head, and like they try to like destroy things. I don't know. My my brain is having a hard one with that. I think I wrote down what they said. Yeah, which one? I was about to say what what the regents council said towards Riel. Even if this is the truth of the universe, that our narrative of creation is a lie. It is not that the great truth, oh, it is not the great truth for ourselves. That truth must be realized inwardly through gnosis. Truth is defined through self. Each of us must find out our own truth. So truth is defined through self. Each Mm -hmm. of us must find our own truth is what the Regents Council said to 
Taria. And I guess that Ergo Proxy does find his own truth. Like Vince does become his own individualized like being. And he realized even before, you know, he becomes like, he realizes that he really is the proxy because at first he just has those flashbacks of like what he didn't realize what they were. And then once he fully accepts that, you know, there is multiple parts of himself and we can see this even as like our past, present and future selves all coming into just this one being. And like we can take all those different parts and realize that we can go forward with our truth from there. Like because we've lived through those experiences and because like Vince had that experience as Vince and he also had that experience as the monad, he's able to come and see that it's an and or situation, you know, you can't just have both. It's an and also all together kind of thing. Yes. Oh my gosh. Love, love that you touched on this, that there's seems to be a necessity to resolve this issue because it's like you said, all the other proxies also destroyed their cities, but they were themselves in pain when they died. But Vince actually is the only one that doesn't die. And then Proxy One does die, but he dies happy. So I thought that that was an interesting thing. He's the only one that dies happy. He dies happy because Vince is liberated. And Vince actually made a decision that was of his own individuality and not like a part of Proxy One's like great plan for his inception. Um, And I just thought that this like mimicked the story of the living Christ. Like God in flesh mm-hmm. becoming a part of this salvation narrative that there seems to be a necessity of celebrating the flesh as we were talking about with sex being yeah. actually a large part, like the erotic being a large part of Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if like if proxy one is god the father Mm -hmm. then ergo proxy who is like i think therefore you are the other being bina being Mm -hmm. sophia being hokmah's wisdom the feminine wisdom not hokmah as in the masculine kabbalah sense i know that's very confusing but it also reminds me of it's like the sadness that came when you don't have that it's like the other two the sun and the moon senex and like causes like they have I think one of the saddest stories in it because it was just there was so close to that reunion of being together and ultimately finding that happiness and then like you said it just gets taken away just so quickly oh yeah and then they're so I I don't know that one's really sad to me because they were trying so hard to come together and to because they all have pairs like you know Riel and Vince are a pair and then you have like the sun and the moon like all these don't all the cities have another sister city, but they essentially like forget that too. They forget that the domes actually have to work together and then they start fighting each other and they destroy each other. Ooh, that was a good point as well. We even forget like within ourselves that, you know, we have warring domes essentially. (laughs) Like, and so how do we join all those together and how do they co-create and work together? I thought that that, that's very interesting what you're saying about uh, Synex and... Kazuki? Yeah, I think so. I just know they're the sun and the moon. Uh, but basically, their suffering mm-hmm. was found in the, in the fact that their raison d'etre, their reason for being, was founded only in the other. 
Okay, so we're nobody. We we have already said the pair is good. We want a pair. We want people to work together. But the difference in why Riel and Vince's relationship was successful is because even though they were a pair, they were working interdependently. Their raison d'etres were their own. Their own purpose for being had to do with their own exploration of self. But they were happy to do that through interacting with each other. So that is like this defining factor. We do want a pair, but it's still for the glorification of your own individual selfhood. You have to have those own experiences in order for you to relate to others. Like, you know, and so without that actual action to follow through rather than just the theory or the feeling, how do you know how to go forward from there? So do you have any commentaries on like enfleshment and living the living Jesus and like Vince as being the living Jesus in comparison to like the two dyadic versions of him, which were Proxy One and Ergo Proxy? Yeah, because in Vince, he fully accepts that he's human. He doesn't even realize like he doesn't even realize that he is divine. And that's why I think once he realizes his inner wisdom is when his eyes open. Once he starts becoming aware of, once he starts becoming aware of actually what's going on within him, and I even see Pino sometimes as being like uh, the Holy Spirit too, in a way, because she's so. I think of her as the Holy Spirit as well. Because she's just there, and she's like just so. Even in the sadness, she is full of joy. Like she is there, you know, making sure we acknowledge the suffering, but we don't get stuck in it. And I think that's really how she pulls Vince out, because Vince was in. He was like, "I'm not worth anything. Like, what am I doing?" And I feel like we do forget our divinity. That we like, what are we working towards? Like, what is our reason to live? That is exactly what's asked over and over. Even like the ones who have no reason to live are given a purpose. And so that that is the reason to live. But to come and to find it within your own self, just as Vince does, to have that gnosis of having that knowledge that there is something higher, which you could even say when he enters into like there's a whole episode. It's a long episode and very, very deep, but so worth it. The one where he's in the bookstore. Oh, yeah, that one's one of the best ones. Oh, so good. Like, if I had to recommend, like, one episode, that would probably just be it. Like, you're thrown in the middle of it, but if you want, like, the core values of what it is, it's like, you know, he essentially goes into his brain, his own brain, and comes with himself and, like, has this guide who's like, no, it's all within you. Like, all these these things that you have done, these past parts of you, they are your divine self, but like you have to embody who Vince is in order to really learn those lessons. And then when he finally meets his creator who, you know, and he finally accepts like, this is what I'm doing. He still chooses to be human. Like he still chooses to stay. And I think that you can even say like, that's a very Buddha Vista kind of thing. Like he chooses to stay and continue with the suffering but you also choose to continue to teach and you continue to learn. And love. And love. That was his, like, love is what everyone fell for. Like, you know, Lucifer fell for love. And our next, and, you know. Oh, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to Madoka. We will get to that. <laughs> I was about to say, like, that's like, you know, love is truly the whole defining force of all of these universes. Like, across, like, all the animes we speak about, all of it, can, you could say, comes back to love of from another like not just a godhead but also the other the divine spark within other people Mm -hmm. oh (laughs) lovely 
<laughs> Love it. Okay, well, last question about Ergo Proxy, if you want to answer it. Yeah. Do we want to do some talking about Riel and Monad or? Sure. I mean, do you want to explain? Like we've given some like sort of hints, but not, did you want to explain their connection or what, what that has to do with Gnosticism at all? Well, I, I mean, Monad is just, I love, you know, <laughs> Monad is actually even used in programming and software terms, which... It's a Leibnizian term. Yeah. And I love that it's almost used, like, in this way. You can see it as the program that is, like, put into their consciousnesses, in a way. Like, you know, she programs Riel. Like, you know, all... And she also, I guess, is the one that holds the whole dome. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out like... Okay, wait. So I know it's confusing. Because the humans are artificial, they can't reproduce. They are all created out of these like artificial wombs that the proxies act as the inseminators of. Inseminators. So the proxies are the phallus and then there's a simps... There's an artificial Mm -hmm. womb and all humans are birthed out of this. And so they are born of proxy. So they are all born of proxy. So in that way, Monad, every, and so every dome has its own proxy. So like Monad is the generator of all the humans in mosque she's birth almost if you were to like break it down like where vincent was life like i guess you could say like monad was like the birth of everything like you know and then i guess you know proxy one would be the father the creator well and above him is the creators but it goes you know creators above all the proxy and then monad who was oxo you know vince's pair So I guess like that's who, but then like she was even created to become like higher. I don't think they ever made it super clear how Riel was a clone of Monad or how Daedalus recreated Monad through Riel. That was never fully explained. Not like Ava to where they're like, oh, okay. You're like, I I get the, you know. (laughs) Oh, don't get, even in Ava, you have to like search through fucking games or manga. I was gonna say I yeah going I I listened to so many there's apparently 37 different possible timelines for (laughs) like internal groaning internal sigh of doom. Dude dude, it was a lot. (laughs) Um the one thing that I do like you're right like that a monad was like the the counter mm-hmm. to ergo proxy and like the regent even accuses ergo proxy at one point like why didn't the creator love us like the creator being ergo proxy because ergo proxy was the creator of all humans in the rondo dome they said why didn't the creator love us like why did the creator love only monad which i so it's like saying, oh, the creator only loved his feminine counterpart, which to me was this like big exemplar of the tension between Mary and Peter in the Gospel of Mary, because the creator returns to Ramdo disguised as an immigrant mm-hmm. to search for Monad. So it's almost like, well, the creator returns in a form that is outcasted and unwanted 
And everybody's like running around like, where's our creator? We want to be loved. And he's like, no, I only love the divine feminine. <laughs> Get on my level. But the divine feminine could be seen like Monad created everything. So like really he went there to, you could go back to him being Jesus. Like he came for maybe that one person, but he ended up saving everyone. Like, And that ties back into it as well, because Monad actually says to Riel, thank you for teaching him about me. Like she basically tells Riel that Riel helped Vince remember Monad through the love that Riel and Vince shared, which was this like indicator that the human enfleshed soul can remember the connection of divine love between the masculine and feminine parts of divinity through our own exchange with the other. Yeah, she's definitely the beloved other, I think, you know, and I think even it shows as she disappears into the sky, which disappearing is like a very light word, even though we know she decided to like. Yeah, what do you make of that? What do you make of the fact that Monad decided to kill herself, but Riel didn't? Are they, and they, that they're supposedly somewhat the same, but not. I think Monad, she fulfilled her purpose. Like she was created to be used by someone else. Essentially she was used, she was created as like a fantasy of a projection, essentially like the set, like the guy was so obsessed with real that he, he couldn't have her. So he tried to recreate that love and that love ended up being so enormous that he couldn't even contain that. She had to kind of I guess, give herself to the all. I think once you realize that all the love has been passed on, you've kind of, she had her reason to live. Her reason to live was to show like Vince what love truly was. And once she knew that that was going to be passed through Riel, like, you know, she kind of felt like her mission had been completed and also her city, like, you know, she wasn't really needed there because so I think that, or it might've just been an Icarus moment to where she tried to see you know, just like, or the fall of Sophia. Sophia tried to reach, she thought she was following a light and then she ended up falling. And then, so she thought Monad might've seen the sun thinking that the sun was all in all. And then she tries to reach it and she can't because they, their bodies cannot be in light, which I also think is a whole other thing <laughs> like that. Like the sun is like what, like the light rays is what destroys the Monad or monad but also the proxies in general which is why they were seen as like a superior god on this earth because they could overcome the environmental catastrophe yeah no i think that's a fabulous point actually um i love your latter interpretation there about sophia you know thinking that she's heading towards the light but it actually being I don't know the story that you're referring to, it's but the, I, it's part of the Pista Sophia. Okay, because I've not I've read about that text, yeah. haven't actually read the text yet. Gotta gotta be honest about my own limitations here. It's really I mean, if you have a chance of like a too long didn't read, it's essentially like Jesus dies within those three days. He blasts through the universe, goes through all the different like archons, fights them off. He's like, there you are, Sophia. And then hero Jesus. He really, truly, like, that's why I'm like, if you really want some good sci-fi, go read some of the cosmologies of like, like the Sethians. Like you can find everyone in there from Venus to Zeus to Barbello. 
Um, it's their I cosmologies, I know, are so fun and crazy. But um, yeah, Sophia essentially like the piss Sophia, Jesus goes, finds Sophia, and then helps her ascend. And then he comes back and teaches these teachings for another 40 days to his disciples. And then there's, you know, it also brings up like, was Jesus, because Mary, his mother, tells a story of when he was about 12 and the Holy Spirit descends into Jesus and like Mary, like captured his spirit, tied him to like a bedpost and was like, stay there, dude. And then she goes back out to the field and was like, Jesus, I think I found your bro. And it's like, by bro, she means your spirit. And so he's like, oh, yeah, no big deal. And then they like unite. And then, you know, that also goes and is like, well, did this, what is the spirit? And is it a part of it? And like, does it descend into you? So the Pista Sophia is wild. It, it, it's wild now. And I've read it. I continue to read it. And I'm just like, I, but it's great. <laughs> it's pretty much superhero Jesus. It's great. <laughs> Why wasn't the musical Jesus Christ Superstar this story? I ask you. Although we really shouldn't be asking too many questions about Andrew Lloyd Webber's like idea process, <laughs> considering he uh, also is the genius behind Cats. I was about to say, I can't say anything about Andrew. I'm not. I love Jesus Christ Superstar. Like some of those songs are solid day by day. It's so fun to sing. Anyways, uh, the theater kid in me. No, I love that. Because, yeah, in, um, in Ergo Proxy, the reason why I thought that was a good good like tie-in was because she's actually going up the reason why she's flying up to the heavens is because she wants to see her creators who are coming back into the atmosphere via the ark so it's again like the very end we don't even know what's going on and it's like the last shot you just get of a spaceship and you're like what dude (laughs) no the last shot is of vince just like looking very devilish and it does make you wonder like what what his actual next plan is but you know there was no sequel so yeah there's like a it's like there's a seth i don't know if it's sethian or one of the gnostic branches and they refer to god as like he he is kind of imperfect but you know he wasn't really doing it he wasn't trying to be bad he was just creating he was just like a maker and an artist Mm-hmm. And so I guess art, sometimes artists get upset with their work and they're like, I'm done. I'm scrapping this. Like we're on to the next thing. So if you think about it almost in that way, you know, as like a, a builder or like a molder, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. I love that. Ooh, love that anime. Good anime. Me too. It was a good rewatch. Yes, Absolutely. Okay, so now we can move on to an anime that I have very conflicting feelings oh, about. Oh, yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Genesis. I did sort of rewatch this in that I put it on at episode uh, 16. That, I did, I'm pretty sure I did like 16 too, yeah. <laughs> you cannot pay me money <laughs> to watch the first 16 episodes of that anime again. I have asked like legit, like, five of my really good anime friends and the only person who has defended neon genesis was my brother and he's like but shinji was only 14 years old and he had to save the world from total destruction and i'm like i don't care he was still a pussy bitch shinji was definitely a little pussy bitch this is also objectively true like 
he was made to be like that though like his, the author even said that like he was made to represent like the suffering of the teenage boys in japan at that time like he was supposed to be apathetic and i'm like i don't care like you know <laughs> i do and like this is what i'll say is so apparently apparently i actually only ever had one person come at me about this but <laughs> apparently it didn't set so well in all of my listeners that i said i didn't like harry potter as a child the reason why i didn't was because i thought that harry was a pussy ass bitch <gasps> after the after the fourth one yes, like you. once once he be- no and everybody's I'm- always like oh well he experienced death okay fine maybe fine but still he did not carry that weight like he just he did not carry that weight i have more sympathy for shinji in that i feel like shinji's that there was a per a purpose and a point behind the fact that shinji was just a fucking cry i i thought he represented just like depression yes i agree and there is, I mean, I don't know how much the listeners know about, like, culturally Japan, but it actually is extremely difficult for both men and women for different reasons because of cultural stigmas. It's still very conservative mm-hmm. in culture. Actually, that's a part of why you can always tell how conservative a culture is by looking at their counterculture. So, like... Japanese counterculture is so big and so loud because of how conservative a large majority of the yeah and that does lead they really do have the highest suicide rates in the world I want to say when I lived there uh my train actually was delayed like three different times because people had jumped in front of the train like more this is like a morbid story share but okay uh, and I was only there for like five months so three times in five months is really that's a large percentage in my opinion I would agree so I think in that like that that's not my issue actually with Neon Genesis it's actually what I like about what I feel ends up redeeming Neon Genesis is its exploration of the psyche and depression and like isolation and how we self-identify. The reason why I don't like the first 16 episodes is just because they're very repetitive and they follow this like Saturday morning cartoon uh, template, yes. which is just like, they're they're all shooting the shit. Oh no, an angel, get in the robot guys battle the angel we didn't win we have to come up with some weird out there impossible strategy that we succeed at executing on the first go and now angel defeated episode over and that's literally every episode for 16 episodes you get minimal to no plot line i was about to say not a lot of like development within the characters like you know interactions with each other you're just like okay you kind of just get set up with who's who Okay, we can talk shit. We could also have a whole episode about NGE. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the things we like about it. Let's let's try to talk about the ways. I was about we- to say, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with? Do we want to start off with the human instrumentality, or do we want to start off with? Yeah, the only things that matter are like the last four episodes, and I didn't watch End of Ava, at least for my rewatch. I've of course seen it. But um, 
The reason why is because even though I know there was a lot of backlash when the original final episode was released, I actually think it is, it's phenomenal. Like I could rewatch that episode over and over and over again. So if people wanted to know what depression was like in like a visual form, I would say like, I would just show them that. Like if I ran like a class on psychology or something and they're like, what is depression? I would put a couple of clips on from that because I think showing like the isolation of it and then having like all the different voices come at you, you know, the way that it goes about it is just, it's really, really well done. I would say like that last episode or two, I think it's worth it. You don't have to watch the rest of the end. No, you kind of get everything in it. You're going to have to read supplementary material or watch a fucking YouTube explanation video anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's another thing I don't like about NGE is, okay, look, it is not you're just not smart enough to get it. It is that you have to dedicate at least three extra hours of your time to researching supplementary material to figure out what the fuck with a lot of that lore which, why didn't you just put it in those first fucking 16 episodes where nothing goddamn happened? I asked you. I agree. And, like, I apparently was reading, like, a part or listening to, like, a part of an episode. And they were talking about, like, all of the different symbology in it. So the creators, uh, when they were making this, they and they added in, like, the Tree of Life, which is a huge symbolic theme, like, thrown everywhere. Like, you know, especially in, like, The Office, you'll see it when people were kept on asking them about like, what do you feel about these themes and the motifs? The creators were just like, I don't know. We thought it was cool. Okay. So yes, because that's something we need to say. Neon Genesis is an, unlike Ergo Proxy, which I actually do think knows what it's talking about in a lot of ways. Neon Genesis is just like Kabbalah, Sphere of Longinus. These are words, and it's not actually about Gnosticism at all. So it's not, and it's not about Kabbalah, and it's, if anything, it's about psychoanalysis. But I'm the, and the only reason why I was like, we have to include it is because I think people assume that it is about Gnosticism, and I think it's important for us to bring up that it's, it's actually not. I think if anything, if it does in Gnosticism, it kind of like the alien gods, like, you know, what are the angels? Yes, let's try to make it work. That's what I was seeing if I could do. So give me your, I'm going to shoehorn Gnosticism into NGE and tell me, tell me how you would do that. (laughs) These are, this is like my, so I guess like, starting we'll start on episode 16 because like we said that is when it starts to get good especially I think that is one of the coolest angels because you don't realize what you're looking at because it's just a sphere and it's like black and white and it's just revolving and you're like that's interesting but when Shinji falls inside of it and he essentially like gets compressed into these other realms and you notice that the angel you come to find out in the episode that really it's the shadow like it's the shadow is where he came into and the shadow is actually what's taking over, not this object that we're seeing floating around in the sky, thinking, destroying everything. It's the shadow, which you could say our world is kind of similar to that, because if according to Gnosticism is that our world is just a mirror or a shadow, kind of like plat- pl- platonic, uh, 
Plato says the same thing, like in the Cave of Shadows. Mm-hmm, um, the allegory of the cave. Mm-hmm. And essentially when he falls inside of it, he like, Shinji starts talking with the angel who starts like mimicking that he's actually Shinji and trying to figure out what it is. And it's like, it almost becomes like a false light God within that. And then they eventually get Shinji out. But Shinji is essentially a totally, truly a totally different person because he was melted and then reabsorbed. And then even when it goes back to him being in the Ava and it happens too, he becomes melted in so many different times. Like who knows who Shinji really is because how many times he's evolved and become slime. Thus I become Tang, the instrumentality yeah. <laughs> of worlds. <laughs> um, so, okay. The, the thing that I decided while watching NGE was that NGE is to Gnosticism in the same way that Bataille's base materialism is to Gnosticism. It's like, I don't fully understand, but I got a copy of like one codex and I'm going with it, you know? Um, It was Madame Lebowski with the Pistis Sophia and just kind of throwing it in with whatever else she found. Exactly. Um, And that idea of the base materialism in Bataille reminds me a lot of the tang like so basically for those of you who don't know the instrumentality project in nge is that basically we all have things called an at field which is like the boundary well if you think about it our heart does our heart is electromagnetic and then so like you know the whole idea is like our body is a turtle field and it creates like this energy of turtle like it creates energy so these AT fields create the boundary of my selfhood so that like myself doesn't merge into yourself, basically. And I think that this like fits with Bataille in that in NGE, everyone's individual nature, the separation of the oneness is what creates suffering. And that's what Bataille says as well. And that through, like, Bataille's whole thing is d- to do this through sex. Yes. <laughs> so it's like you can fuck someone, and then through having sex with them, you can have that temporary melding of the two souls in which, you know, or two become one, and you can experience continuity, which will give you a cessation of your suffering if even in that moment. And so that's what the people who like want instrumentality, that's why they want it. They want the continuity of all souls to be mixed in one so that we can just all exist in the unity. And it because they believe only through the individual expression of our selfhood do and that isolation and that abandonment, which is a huge part of both Shinji and Asuka. Asuka, if you look at it, even she comes into union with the angels when they blast that light at her in her suit, and it totally drives her mad. Like, you know, you can even see, like, if you're following even the mystical path and you're trying to, like, meet that transcendent God, even when you do meet them, say that, because that was her point, was to go out there and fight. But to be, like, the human mind, the angels essentially try to read her, and in that, it's just so intense, and it overwhelms her. Well, they force her to remember her 
things that she had like intentionally blocked out in order to survive like her sense of selfhood was separated in that she had compartmentalized a lot of things and that's actually why i think she was such so mean to shinji i think her meanness to shinji was actually a display of love in that like she wanted shinji to not feel the pain that she felt but because she didn't understand like she had blocked that from herself she wasn't aware that that's what she was doing. And in that would like, this is more about like the discontinuity creating suffering and that like, she didn't understand that her anger at Shinji was actually love and Shinji didn't understand it either. And so therefore he did not receive it as love. Because neither of them like, they, they, might have had that that loving true nature which you know is within but because of the way they were nurtured and because of their life experiences they they didn't know how to react and like because essentially like maybe no one like they weren't really truly shown what love was and if or what a positive example of love was and how to react to that like in a way that will make them grow rather than push other people away because I guess if, you know, all they know is people leaving, you try to build up that barrier of making sure people don't leave you by, and a lot of people kind of come out and have resting bitch face and like, you know, and it's not that they're really feeling that way inside. It's just maybe that's the way that they were taught how to express emotions. Like we, you know, sometimes forget that they are high schoolers, like, you know, like, cause they are saving the world and this could have been their first time having that experience of love of truly loving someone and not just being like, I have to love this person because they're my family, but because I'm with them and I'm choosing to be with them, I have to love them. And, and no one has had a good example of it in any of the series. Like there's not one relationship I would say that's like really like truly had seen like a healthy example of love. Like no. I don't I guess I kind of think about like Ray and Kaoru who comes in a little later because I think he's interesting too. He's one of my. <laughs> he's an enigma, I would say. I wonder because everybody is always like Kaoru was Shinji's first example of real love or whatever. And I actually didn't like that because I was like, there was a clear example in an earlier episode where Masato actually comes over and tries to console him and he pushes her away and he's like, no. And then she actually leaves his room and starts bawling herself because he rejected her attempt at affection. And... Only in what you were just saying just now did I have an epiphany that might reconcile this, which is that Kaoru was not broken himself. Kaoru was completely um, free in his expression of love and affection because he was completely confident in his sense of self. And maybe that's why his affection was received by Shinji in a way that was safe uh, because it's, it is true that we pick up on people's insecurities or we pick up on people's, you know, 
maybe they're maybe Misato's reach for affection was just as much for her own sense of self-consoling, whereas Kaoru was only purely loving Shinji for the sake of loving Shinji. More like a Jesus figure rather than like Misato would have been like more of a a Mary figure because she was there as a human suffering with him where Kaoru kind of came in and he's like, I am above love and suffering. And like, you know, because I am love and because I'm an angel that kind of like learned from you. So no big deal. Um, but, but I think, but I think he recognizes that same spark of life within Ray though, as he holds like that different because they come from, I guess, you know, it goes back to like Lilith and it also goes back to Adam, which Sethians believe that they are offspring of Adam. Like they're Sethians, the third son of, him yeah that gnosticism light gnosticism light because all the humans in nge are sons of these demiurgic angels so son of adam or son Mm -hmm. actually it's much more complicated than that so much Um, more i'm not going to get into it but i did actually watch a whole 40 minute fucking youtube episode explaining this shit so that i could know what the fuck honestly yes. me too i had to do the same thing i like watched it and i'm like as as good as that was i'm happy i watched it but now someone hold my hand and <laughs> please walk me through some of the finer detail things that i might have missed because there was a lot um but i just i just think that it's so interesting because like all of it and there's another trinity within there right with like shinji and then he has ray and um and well, I guess he has four. He has like three women specifically within his life who kind of make a, a triple within themselves. Masako and then uh, Ray and Asuka. But, sure. Yeah. I uh, can see that. There's also three robots. Mm-hmm. There's three levels to the city. There's like, you know, you have the three different levels of Tokyo. You have like that, which is outside. And then they have like the dome city, with which is underground, which was built by someone else whenever they showed up they were just here it was already perfect and then they continue even further into the tang and they're like welcome to the tang tank here's where like we're also keeping this like giant being on like this giant like stake don't worry about it we all come from it it's no big deal raise your mom you know we go from there <laughs> yeah it's a uh, it's a lot um okay but so the final episode where it's like instrumentality is happening. Which is so cool. What a cool, like, just visual, like, representation of God in general. Like, when she, like, pulls out and she's, like, half, she's, like, a giant being and there's, like, a male half and she's, like, forward and, like, ugh, it's a weird thing. I really enjoyed it, though. I thought that was cool. I sent this to you the when I was re-watching it that they do like a whole exploration of the I becoming the other, but like the one, two, three that you see in Kabbalah as well, which is like the monad dissecting itself into two. And now there's a self and an other. So I can talk to that thing and get to know myself through the other, which is very much a part of that one, two, three in Kabbalah. Mm -hmm. Uh, which I guess 
you know, NGE likes to fake as being Kabbalistic as well. And because it throws in those three rays on top of it, like, right? And like all those different like possibilities and, and the dualities. Well, that was something I did want to bring up in that same way that in Ergo Proxy, it becomes like learning the self through the other. There's that whole interaction in Ergo Proxy where you ha- in the library where you have Vince going through his past memories and talking to other people, but they all have his face. So it's like my su- there are a bunch of different versions of myself in these other people and I can only truly know myself by getting to know the me in them. That same thing happens in NGE where Shinji's like, this is the Shinji in Misato's heart. This is the Shinji in Asuka's heart. And Rei does that same thing where she's like, how can we all be Rei's? How can we all be the object that is called Rei Ayanami is what she says. So she's referring to herself as an object, which is interesting from a theological perspective but she actually is a robot clone so she actually is a she is less less human identity than she's like she has a consciousness but it's an other consciousness it's not consciousness the way I, I think it's kind of it's kind of like a unity field consciousness like if we all have like our own at field consciousness like which is mine i would say ray has like a cult, like all of her, all of hers, her bodies, like, you know, that are floating around. I think all of those share the same conscious field because we don't know where consciousness truly lives, right? Like, you know, it could be, like we said, it could be a virus. Like it could be something that infects you. And like, it could be something that like you're given or that you learn through. And so maybe that's like what, what Ray is. It's like, she's just a unity field of consciousness and why she's able to like join the instrumentality project is because she's already like, like that. She's already expanded out into multiple versions of herself where Shinji is in the blank white universe by himself. Like when he goes and like represses down into it. And in that world, like, you know, we think that's the ideal. We think that if we were to all join together, have all of our feelings erased, there's no more suffering, but there's also no more love. There's also no more other people. Like there's also no more relating. Like all of the good things, like Pino says, I would rather feel sad. And then also know that I was happy to have those feelings rather than just become an empty blank space. Because like, it's kind of sad whenever it's that episode and Shinji's just like, there's nothing. And you're just kind of being like, oh, that would kind of suck if it was just me and I'm in this blank world, you know? Like all realities are created by us. And like, once we experience the manifested phenomenon, we start comparing for opposites. Like every time he's like dies and every time he's reborn, he's occupying like new realities and he's creating all these different timelines. And essentially he's a part of those different timelines, but he's also himself. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, the scene that you're talking about is is the same one I was talking about where it's like he's in a blank place and he's like, I have ultimate freedom. But he's like, but I don't know what to do with myself. And it's like, well, let's create a boundary. And they draw a line and it's like, now you have a place to go and things to see, but you're also now restricted to just being able to walk horizontally because by creating a ground, you've created gravity. Yeah, so that was 
all super interesting is like, do you really like, why did the Godhead create the world would be in order to experience itself. And that's because to have that unlimited freedom is like too much. And it's actually interesting. Like this is something when I took a poetry class in college, uh, my poetry teacher said like, when you start a poem, it's good to set boundaries for yourself before you get in because other like that's going to help with your writer's block or with your inability to like come up with the right words. Because if you have ultimate freedom, then you have too many possibilities to pick from. And by like creating limitation, you give yourself like less anxiety and more ability to actually like commit to a decision or commit to something very Saturnian, like you have to create like all those structures, you don't want the structures like and because you're like, Oh, I'm above that I'm going to rebel against the hierarchy. And you're like, Well, also, you can't get rid of like all of the stones, like you can tear down the temple, but the temple also has some pretty good nice big stones. So we can start with those big base blocks. But then from there, add on what's needed, add on to like what you would like to create as a boundary. Yeah, absolutely. And that again, touches in on that like difference between the trash village and Romdo, because it's like in Romdo, everything is so structured, everybody literally is born for a specific purpose, and that purpose only, versus the ultimate freedom of the trash village. And both of those people are unhappy. And it's only through giving yourself a delineation by saying, Oh, well, I am this, or I want this, or I'm gonna make this. And then this is my my reason to live. It's not like, it's not the reason that someone else is telling me to live for. It's the reason that I choose to live. And it's the way that I choose to do it. And Shinji goes through that too, because at first he's like, oh, I get in the, why do I pilot the Ava? Why do I pilot the Ava? He asks himself this literally in every episode. He's like, why do I pilot an Ava? And at first he keeps saying like, it's because I want the validation. He says, when I get in the Ava, people praise me. People validate me when I get in the Ava. By the end of it, he says, oh my God, they like me regardless. And my impetus for being in the Ava is more about like my own self exploration than it actually is about validation. And so it's like he goes through that journey as well. Yeah, when your body disintegrates within a giant robot and just becomes like a puddle of goo for a couple of weeks and you join consciousnesses with like a <laughs> alien angel. Yeah, you kind of like you kind of realize things are a little different and like you get different perspectives, which I guess is the ultimate goal, though, of being a mystic or following like any sort of spiritual path is to dissolve yourself into the goo of divine love and then to order to find yourself like within that consciousness, like when you do have that union, you're like, oh, I only can have this because I am an individual. Like I can only recognize this because I am separate, which sucks being separate. Like that could even be seen as the root of everything happening is because we were separated from our divine source. We are going to constantly suffer and seek that divine source. But what would happen, and I think the nice thing that Neon Neon Genesis does is it answers what would happen if we were to unite with that consciousness and we were to become like all one and you forget that you would lose yourself. You would lose everything that you wanted, all of your desires, your reason to live is dissolved and it's for the quote unquote betterment of all. So it's like kind of why I think like, you know, people push like, oh, unity consciousness, like let's all just have the same thoughts and it's fine. 
And I'm like, no, that would be so boring. That would be so boring if we all thought the same thing and we all like did the same thing. That That's not the point. The point is to find yourself and it's to find that true gnosis within and to find like what is leading you and your experience and how you want to drive it and how you want to access God. Oh, I love that. Yes, absolutely. I think that, you know, in in tarot specifically in the both tradition as it's outlined by crowley you know he changes um the temperance card to art and the alchemic formula of solve et coagula to dissolve and then recreate oneself in order to reach self-perfection it's embodied by the lover's card, which is actually the sword. So it's like, what do I need to remove in order to like better my relationships with the others? Like in which ways am I operating under like faulty logic systems or like engaging in delusions of desire as opposed to like real, real love or real desire. Uh, but the art card is the one where you put it back together and when where you recreate yourself with like co-mingled with these things that you've learned. And I think that that is such a good tie in to the metaphor that I like to use for Saturn, like Saturn's suffering, which is when I am looking at art, when I am looking at art. I don't want to look at something one dimensional. I don't want to look at something that's just like all bright colors with no shadow, no outline, you know, that's so, I don't want it to look like the background of a new, like Doreen Virtue's angel cards. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like I want depth. I want shadow. I want more than one color. Like I want the full expression of art and, and beauty and that this can only come through giving creation permission to express itself through all colors and all depths and all modalities. So love that. And that's actually a big reason why the early church fathers, which would be Catholicism essentially, um, kind of were against Gnostics because they did think that they said, mm, I met my creator, like, you know, and some of them even viewed it as a, viewed the creator as an artist, as someone who made these forms. It's like, I've met this creator. I don't need you to tell me how to live. <laughs> can I, can I read um, a quote from the Acts of John that I wrote down? Yes. Yes. So apparently there's like, instead of the Eucharist scene that we like know uh, in Catholicism, uh, Jesus leads some sort of dance ritual with the apostles. It does. There's actually, there's one, there's a whole, I'll have to, it's called um, the dance of the, it's like called the round dance. There's yeah. actually like a Gnostic text of it. It's really If you cool. send that, I'll include it in the show notes. Okay. So this is the quote from the Acts of John. It's like, it's what Jesus says to the universe belongs the dancer. He who does not dance does not know what happens. Now, if you follow my dance, see yourself in me who am speaking. You who dance, consider what I do, 
For yours is this passion of man which I am to suffer. For you could by no means have understood what you suffer unless to you as logos I had been sent by the Father. Learn how to suffer and you shall be able not to suffer. Man, John slaps. Like, John is actually like one of the most Gnostic, obviously, in the in the New Testament. Like a lot of people think that like it was kind of slid in there as like that a testament to Gnosticism still continuing. Um, yeah, the the book of John is secretly a Gnostic text, even mm -hmm. though it is in the New Testament. But this was quoted from the Acts of John. So like Acts of John the Apostle, mm -hmm. as opposed to the Gospel of John. Because there's also the apocryphal of John. So you're right that John is like the Gnostic guy. And anything with John that kind of shows up, like I'm like, okay, that's John is like a Gnostic kind of red flag in a good way. Yes, exactly. But I just <laughs> love that about the dancing. I love that. That's gorgeous. It reminds me of George Lakoff's book, metaphor as myth or metaphor as meaning. I always get this wrong, but I'll put it in the show notes as well. But he's basically talking about how it metaphors shape our engagement with phenomena emotionally as well as how we perceive it. Because the, the way that we shape metaphors shapes our thoughts, which, in, you know, the logos, which in turn shapes how we engage with our emotions. And one of the examples that they use is, well, you, if you look at metaphors for um, arguments, arguments are usually structured in metaphors of war. So like a winner or a loser, or I defeated his argument, or, or you know, like all of the various little colloquialisms that we use to talk about arguing with another person are usually based in war metaphors. So Lakoff said, what would it look yeah. like if we structured argument metaphors in terms of a dance? That instead of there being a winner or a loser, this is like a dance that we're weaving through together to try to like create a piece of art, which is some sort of gnosis through the engagement of this conversation that we're having. Yeah, definitely post that book because that sounds amazing. And I love especially when we come back to like Madoka, like the dancing just makes so much sense. Like, especially in like rebellion, when we go into that. Well, I think we already touched on whether you think that it was a good idea for Shinji to reject instrumentality. I would have. Okay. Suffering needed, the other needed. There's this continual idea of enfleshment and being ensouled and achieving self-knowledge as being a perfection of a tripartite deity, which we're seeing reflected in both animes. The last thing I just wanted to finish talking about was the Batai connection and that like, this is the Rei Ayanami inside of Shinji. This is the Rei Ayanami inside of Misoka. And that idea of like the self being located in the other I wanted to read a quote from Bataille, but I want, I would rather end our conversation on the quote. So if you have like commentaries on that, the heart, my heart is within your heart. Cause I thought this was a big point in NGE. I agree. 
it, I guess, because I, I even wrote down like what like Kaiji, who we really haven't spoken about, but who is probably the only redeemable character in the whole anime. <laughs> the only one. The only one. He's the. I wrote down. He's like question mark the most evolved gnostic i was like he he seeks everything within and like he doesn't want to be a martyr like he wants to serve the whole he wants to find the truth because he even says like the truth is within you those are his final words to asako which i love that actually and good point because so he's like a double agent twice he's actually screwing over both teams everyone for his own purpose which is very much this return to what we were saying was like vince's redemption was finding the purpose within yourself not letting other people dictate it for you as he watches the world burn while he and shinji i just such a good scene like shinji is like obviously everything is burning around and Shinji is just like, oh, I'm not going to do anything about it. Like, they don't need me. Like, Asaka's got it. Like, why am I even here? And and he's just watering his watermelons, which apparently I didn't realize this, but watermelons are very hard to grow, like in Japan. Like, they're really, like, the reason that they're so expensive and why it always is like a big party thing is because it's hard for, like, it's not like a easy thing to grow, which, you know, I thought was interesting. And that's what he's doing. And and he essentially is like, well, um, I'm going to be in my garden if I'm going to die, I guess. Like, if you're not going to go out there and do anything, I'll just stay here. This is my place where I want to be. And Shinji's like, oh, you mean you're, you're just going to keep living your life as the whole world is burning around you? And he's like, yeah, if you're not going to do anything about it. Funny. And, and then Shinji's like, uh, okay, I guess I should go do something. And then he does. Yeah, he says something like, I'm happy to die right here, but there's nothing I can do and you can do something. So could you really live with yourself if you just died right here? He was like, make the decision for yourself, not for anybody else, though, is what he said. A hundred percent. And I think that sums up who he is as like a character. He pushes everyone to find the truth within him. He's really the catalyst, I think, for a lot of things. He is because he kind of sparks um, Misato's inner... A uh, redemption as well. So yes, a girl, which girl <laughs> would definitely be Masato. Well, she just has her head on and pen pen. She has pen pen there. Who, who doesn't is, want a pen pen? Let's be honest. Yeah, for real. I think that's yeah. That's all. Like, I just wanted to throw that in there because I really just loved him. Like, I just couldn't. I didn't. I had. He was the only redeeming thing about the show, so we had to include him if we're gonna list the things we like. No, I think that was perfect because I hadn't even put that together that he really was the only like exemplification of somebody utilizing any sort of gnostic mentality or any mentality other than just sadness he was just like no you have to do it for yourself not others like yeah. the truth is within you bitch like it's good it's good so in in terms of just me being like my best way of reconciling nge to gnosticism would be a connection to george bataille that whole like the heart within the yeah. heart thing i found a poem by bataille in a, a collection of his work called The Impossible. I saw that and I was like, I haven't heard of that one. So I thought that was real. And I read it. I actually included it in my notes somewhere because I liked it so much. Really? I was like, I hope she uses it. Yes. So this is just one of the poems. I want to write this first of all. We don't have the means of reaching at our disposal. 
To tell the truth, we do reach. We suddenly reach the necessary point and we spend the rest of our lives seeking a lost moment. But how often we miss it for the precise reason that seeking it leads us away from it. Joining together is doubtless a means of missing the moment of return forever. Suddenly in my darkness, in my solitude, anguish gives way to its uncanny, no longer ever wrenching. Through constant wrenching, it no longer wrenches. Suddenly, V's heart is in my heart. So he's basically just saying, like, we're constantly trying to reach that continuity in which the heart of the beloved is within my heart. But we experience more times of like prolonged anguish in which the darkness of the solitude gives way to this uncanny, like wrenching connection between the self and the other, which I think is essentially the theme of <laughs> Inhumanity. Yeah. And I think with like the image within NGE that that pulls is when Ray is like the giant god Ray, and there's also Shinji as like whatever he is, and she just reaches out into his heart, and they're just both there, and like you know, like one weird unified like triple beam. I think that's what I feel whenever like you say that. I'm like that sums it up perfectly. Yes, love it, love it. All right. Well, I love you. This was a joy. This has been so much fun. Like, yeah, I'm stoked. I agree. Heck yeah. I'm actually going to go and probably watch it now. But yeah. I'm going to watch it all, man. <laughs> I'm going to rewatch Made in Abyss and cry. Getting my feels. Anyways, <laughs> thanks so much. I will have to, like, see you later and shit chat because this has been so fun. Yes, please. Bye, dude. Have a great one. 